0: You are tuning into Latino Politics and News with Tony Diaz on 90.1 FM, KPFT, Houston, Texas. The era of Hispandering is over. Thank you for tuning into Latino Politics and News. This is Tony Diaz. Today's show is dedicated to Macario Ramirez. Who passed away Thursday, June 11th, 2020, due to a heart condition? He was at peace and at his home. He is survived by his wife, Chrissy Ramirez. He was a great advocate for Chicano civil rights. I'm proud to have had him as a mentor and as a dear friend. He taught me and many others how to be proud, forthright, and relentless in advocating for justicia, our community, and cultura. In honor of his legacy, we will accelerate our efforts to dismantle racism. In lieu of flowers, Mrs. Ramirez asked that donations be made to Mecca at the TBH Center, 1900 Kane, Houston, Texas. With that in mind, today's program begins the dialogue to require ethnic studies for graduation in Texas. We interviewed two candidates for the Texas State Board of Education District 6. At the top of the show, We talked to Dr. Kimberly McLeod. She is in the Democrat runoff for the seat, scheduled for July 14th. We've already interviewed her opponent, Michelle Palmer. For the second half of the show, we interview Will Hickman, who is the Republican candidate for the seat in the November 3rd general election. I know you're registered to vote, and I know that you know it's important. We need you to remind your family and friends to vote, and you need to bring up these issues with them. I also want to remind you, we're no longer in pledge drive However, there are no regular shows about our art, culture, and politics on commercial television or radio. KPFT hosts a monopoly of cultural capital. We answer to you, our community. Please budget a donation to KPFT and make it in support of Latino politics and news today. Visit kpft.org. We thank you in advance for our support. I want to thank our crew for donating their cultural capital to make this show go on air. Leti Lopez, Rodrigo Bravo, who mixes the show remotely, Claudia Solero Alfonso, Jesse Aranda Comer, who is our summer intern through Rice University, Laurie Flores, Stefano Cavasa, and Al Castillo, president of Lulet Council 60. I'm happy to join you every Tuesday from 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. for Latino Politics and News here on 90.1 FM KPFT. That's followed by Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say at 6 p.m. I also get to see you on the political talk show What's Your Point on Fox 26 Houston, Sundays at 7 a.m. This is Tony Diaz for Latino Politics and News. Thanks for tuning in.
1: Que no pretendo quedarme Me da un poco de ansiedad Y es que en la vida todo se puede Este bien o este mal Pero podré vivir con la culpa De que al menos una vez más Te volví a probar
0: of Education, District 6. We are joined on the air by Dr. Kimberly McCloud. You are a mom to three boys who are in public schools. You're a career educator with over 20 years of experience in education. You are a fierce advocate for children, families, and the communities and businesses that support them. Yes, sir. <laughs> also, because you only want to sleep one hour a day, evidently, <laughs> you are now... <laughs> <laughs> the new dean of the College of Education and Human Services at Texas A&M University Commerce. First of all, congratulations on that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I consider it a blessing. You are an avid writer and public speaker. Your research yes. on culturally responsive practices has been shared at national and international public institutions and conferences for over a decade. After requests request from several school districts, she published her first book, Creating cultural responsiveness in 2002. Since then, she's published 11 additional books for adult and children learners, along with 20 articles in peer-reviewed journals. She's served in multiple educational (laughs) roles, including the most vital public school teacher, also counselor, administrator assistant superintendent professor executive director and dean at texas southern university here in the great city of houston texas she is in a democrat runoff on july 14th for as i said earlier Texas State Board of Education seat number six against Michelle Palmer, who we interviewed already. The winner from there will continue to the general election November 3rd, 2020. Thank you for taking that chance to dive into public service more formally and more deeply.
2: Oh, thank you. It was a calling and I had to answer.
0: Our listeners, our community knows that we've been dealing with dismantling structural racism for decades. What I want to focus on today is the power of education to change how our communities are treated and to open up opportunities. And I wanna bring it up because the seat you're going for has a big, a big role in changing that. Let's start off by celebrating that Texas State Board of Education has formally endorsed African American history. That's fantastic. What are your thoughts on that and what does that show us Possibilities for the future in Texas.
2: I think that it was long overdue. And I celebrate those that um, started this work with Mexican-American studies and now the African-American studies. Um, I would say that there is room for more. We should continue to grow in ethnic studies, expose our students to as much as possible when it comes to learning about themselves and other people and how they can also see themselves in other people. That's how we begin to break down these these walls of ignorance when we begin to learn and understand. Education is the key to social mobility. And if we want our students to be able to, uh, to be agile in the america that we live in today we need to equip them by educating them so this work um is a testament of those that have served on these committees have brought this forward with courage and dealing with the resistance to make this happen
0: for the state of texas pre george floyd's death i thought we were on this path that would be moving And I had accepted it as incremental because it took so long to get Mexican American studies passed. That was several years and we caught a lot of grief and there was a lot of Mm -hmm. racism that came out. Now, as we look for structural change, we must talk about how our communities will be policed differently. We're going to hear a lot about bias training. I don't want to dismiss that, but let's get something straight. For a grown person to be given A few hours, I'll be generous. A few weeks of cultural sensitivity training does not make up for years of being exposed to the cultures of others. With the passing of Mexican-American history by Texas State Board of Education and African-American history, is it time that we start pushing for mandatory ethnic studies courses for Texas students to graduate? that could be one way to start to dismantle the bias that leads to these cultural crises. What are your thoughts on that?
2: I, I am absolutely, um, pleased that we are where we are now, but we could have been here 50 years ago, a (laughs) hundred years ago. We could have been here long before now. And honestly, we should have, um, Is Texas really ready to embrace what making this mandatory? Well, ready or not, I think we would miss the opportunity to give our students an opportunity to learn about things that are different from them. Should it be mandatory? In my opinion, absolutely. If it ever came to vote, that would be something that I would vote for. Um, Why would I vote for that? One. Because part of ethnic studies is it gives validation to people who are part of those cultural groups. It gives them purpose. It gives them place. It gives them voice for, what, for two reasons. One, it allows them to better understand themselves and how their culture and their ancestry has contributed to the lens of American society, Texas society, Harris County society. They ought to be able to see how their lives have meaning in the textbook Mm. for themselves. Secondly, people who are not part of that ethnic group ought to be able to appreciate the value of how other ethnicities have contributed to the fabric of American culture. They ought to be able to appreciate and embrace, you know what, I can look at someone who does not look like me and appreciate that they can be black and brilliant at the same time, that they can be Brown and purposeful at the same time, that they can be multilingual and have purpose and significance all at the same time, because I read it in my textbook. And I saw what other people who look like that and spoke like that did, not just for themselves, but for anybody else that may have looked like them or not, because, A rising tide lifts all ships. So if we can elevate those that are the most disenfranchised, we can elevate everybody. And so it's just a missed opportunity if we don't equip our students with the power to navigate American culture socially and emotionally and not just by reading, writing, and
0: arithmetic. You know, you're getting me fired up, okay? It it (laughs) helps me get over some of the... Ugly moments we had to see as we are fighting for Mexican-American studies. And I say that because we must recognize that when we're making big changes, just like when the airplane takes off, when you're hurtling in space, <laughs> there's going to be some pushback. Mm-hmm. Right now what you're saying also makes me optimistic because then we should take note. I want to be generous to Texas. Texas is the only state of the union that has endorsed both Mexican American studies and African American studies and you mentioned something about opportunities i'd like you to reflect on this i this should have been done decades ago generations ago but it just dawned on me that you and i could not have been having this discussion that long ago mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. here I am, a Chicano with an advanced degree on 100,000 watts in the fourth largest in America, speaking to an African-American woman with a Ph.D. who is the dean at a university who is about to right. <laughs> run for election in a seat that was predominantly a Republican seat. You know, Donna Behorge, she could have ran again. She did not. She's retired right. from the seat. Let's reflect on the historical moment that we're on and how, as you said, this doesn't have to be a conflict. We've had conflict. I saw those conflicts. We were involved in those conflicts early. This could be an opportunity for Texas. You know what, Tony?
2: Um, You are where you are, and I am where I am, not because of what we've done, but because of what our families did for us Mm -hmm. before we were even born and I'm saying that because the policies that we need to advocate for the communities that we are trying we we're not going to benefit from this. We're doing this for the children who have not be, who have not been born. We're doing this for these future generations so that because of our work somebody might get to college. Somebody may break the generational poverty. We're doing this because somebody along the lines may want to run for president of the United States and we need Mm -hmm. to be able to clear the pathway for them. And so historically, I do not take for granted the blood that has been shed, the the tears that have been shed. I do not take for granted the abuse that has been absorbed by my ancestors and by yours and by ancestors who did not look like us but still supported the movement of humanity. And so those are the shoulders that we stand on. And those are the shoulders that we should be preparing for the next generation to stand on ours. This is historical. And it didn't start with us, and hopefully it will not end with us. We are only part of the process, and it's our time to open the door. There's a Chinese proverb, and it says, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. Mm. We will (laughs) reap what we sow. (laughs) And if we do not sow the seeds that will produce the crop, then we are going to reap a harvest that we do not want to feed to our our, our our families. The seeds that we plant now ought to nourish our communities for generations to come.
0: And on that note, what I like too about our generation is that we can dream and we can deliver. So let, let's posit how this would look because we have the benefit of taking a look at some of the school districts in California. They were among the first mm-hmm. to make... Ethnic studies are a requirement for graduation. They replace the requirement for geography with ethnic studies. We're doing this for the future and for many ethnicities. And this could then be a specific pathway to implement this in high schools. And then this way also encourage other ethnicities to develop their curriculums as well. What are your thoughts on that approach?
2: Yeah. Well, first of all, like you said, um, I applaud Texas and the State Board of Education for bringing us to this point. Um, I know Aisha Davis is working on uh, creating this on a national level with some federal legislatures, legislators. <clears throat> but you know, we were, we we were on a debate once, my opponent and I, and the question was asked: Is there room for other ethnic ethnic studies? And absolutely, you know, there's an African proverb and it says, the story of the hunt will always glorify the hunter until the lion can tell its own story. And it's time for people from those groups to be able to tell their own story, to tell the truth as they have experienced it and not just heard about it. It is time their voice ought to be heard, and we ought to value it, and we should be able to learn from it. So is this the time to explore other ethnicities and their contributions, and to document that with their voice? Absolutely. And shame on us if we don't.
0: Even this this race for the runoff, which I want to remind listeners again, July 14th is the These runoff. vote. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, November 3rd will be the general election. However... On the Democrat side, regarding the runoff election, we've got two educators who know pedagogy. We talked to Michelle Palmer and what she had suggested, getting rid of 7th grade Texas history, folding it into American history so that Texas students would study American history in 7th, 8th, and 11th grade. And with that extra time, making sure that black voices, uh, Mexican-American voices, Latino voices, Asian-Americans, women, will be incorporated. And this way, more Texans can be studied fully and get a better grasp of the historical picture and contributions. What are your thoughts?
2: Well, I appreciate my opponent's approach, although I do disagree with it. I do believe working in the schools um, from K-12 to higher ed, looking at both sides of the fence, that um, some of our students, even those that came to me as first-generation college students at the university, they've never left Texas. And not to say that there's not value of learning about contributions to American history from California, Nebraska, Minnesota, New York, Chicago, but for our students to be able to appreciate contributions from people in Texas that are local so they can see themselves in the story and the potential impact that they've had from people in their community. For example, um, Floyd, Brother Floyd, that was murdered um, by the police officer, he's from Houston, Texas. He's a graduate graduate from Yates High School. Why not learn about, he graduated from a community school that a lot of our students have gone through, or know parents, they they know Yates High School. And to be able to show that in his death, he has had a global impact, a global impact on history, period. But to be able to help our students appreciate the contributions of people from Texas, regardless of whatever race or gender or orientation that they may be to be able to say, you know what, she did that. And I, I think my mama knows her. Mm, Or, you know, I think I've seen him on TV, you know, to be able to see that locally. So then that they can graduate that up and to see how that fits into American culture. And to say, you know what, George Floyd was similar to – uh, someone in uh, Chicago or Minnesota or California, they can then be able to transfer that experience to other situations outside of Texas. But I think they need to start locally with people they can reach out and touch from the community, from the area that they can identify with. And then once they have that identification, then let's put it on a national scale. This is same thing happened in Texas. Guess where else it happened? And guess who led it there? And then they can they can make those connections, Um, not just with um, history of the past, but they've got to be able to, for them, for it to make sense and to soak in, we've got to connect it to what they're experiencing right now and how they're right now has had a play in history. So history does not have to continue to repeat itself.
0: If we're going to be real about the structural racism that we're seeing addressed and revealed at this moment. It's happening, and our students are only getting Twitter, Facebook news, and mainstream news. No contextualization. And here's the other problem. We're adapting to being online and remote, and school is out. So come September, come August, all the students will remember is what the headline said, maybe what someone whispered to them, and they won't get the historical context. It sounds like what you're saying is what a better way than to have teachers empowered to be able to bring in that history into the classroom so that we can revisit it and we can understand that this is how history is made. It's not straightforward. It's not pretty. It's hard. There's sacrifices, mm-hmm. but we're watching it happen in our watch. Is, is, is that Absolutely. more like 3D? Yes. Well,
2: it's relevant. And, kids have been saying it from the beginning of time. Well, what does this have to do with what, (laughs) what am I, how am I going to use this later in life? Well, this is how, you know, I was reading over this quote and it says this, it's a peculiar sensation, this double consciousness, this sense of always looking at oneself through the eyes of others of measuring one's soul by the tape of a world that looks on in amused contempt and pity one ever feels this two-ness, two souls, two thoughts, two unreconciled strivings, two warring ideals, and one dark body whose dogged strength alone keeps it from being torn asunder. And if I were to tell you that was written in 1903 by Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois, but what does that mean in 2020? Mm-hmm. What is And to be able to bring that, when, when Du Bois says, a world that looks in amused contempt and pity. You know, our students don't need pity. They need empowerment. <laughs> and to be able to look at what happened with George Floyd. And what W.E. Du Bois said in 1903, that's a way to integrate current and historical for it to make sense. And for students to be able to see this is what history means. And we've been dealing with this for 100 years. And how do we begin to make change? Because if we're where we are in 2020, then our generation failed. Mm. And that means it's the responsibility of the generation that are in the schools now to begin to prepare to take the lead. And we've got to get them ready.
0: What are your thoughts about this brave new world that we're entering? How do we mix technology with ethnic studies and and any other facet that needs to be combined to create a world-class educational system that will edify our youth and communities?
2: Well, I'll say this, that um, there is a little bit of a silver lining in that and that there was a huge technology divide between lower socioeconomic learners and uh, African American and Latino Hispanic learners, and um, now we have to bridge that technology divide, and it's forcing us to think differently about how we equip our students and how they use the technology in order to be competitive by the time they graduate. They've got to know how to 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 work with technology beyond their cell phone. And so this is, is beginning to open to open that door. Um, I do completely agree that some of our students who do have access, they didn't want to connect with us when we were teaching traditionally. And for those that are learning like that at home, including my son, who's an African-American male, he's struggling. He didn't really, he wasn't all in in person. And trying to motivate him to sit behind a computer that's not a video game? You know, I'm struggling as a parent, and I'm an educator. And, you know, I'm full transparency. I understand because I'm dealing with it at home, trying to get him to connect. I'll say this, that good people with good hearts can cause harm if they don't know what it is that they're doing. And I am a teacher advocate, a teacher supporter, as I am for anyone that contributes to our system of education. Um, And I don't, whether they're charter school or public school, if they're under the auspice of um, the state of Texas, they deserve our support um, and our leadership. Um, And I'm saying all of that to say part of this is to be able to create a conscious awareness when we don't intentionally build relationships with students. what happens is we may not want it or want to face it, but if it's if it's if it's not going left, then it's going right. There is no such thing as just standing still and if we're not building trust, then we're creating the gap for for trust that that trust gap to grow and increase, and so part of that is creating a conscious awareness is there anything about me that I can put to the side that may be interfering with my students' ability to connect and feel valued, whether they're online or in person? If you can't do it in person, you certainly can't do it online. Um, But that's where education comes in. That's the benefit of ethnic studies, being able to understand things outside of your own shell. And, Tony, I'm going to say this. You can look like me and talk like me, and still hurt me at the same time. Mm. And so there's value in teaching anyone who touches our children um, what cultural responsiveness is, what cultural diversity is, what cultural appreciation and value is. Hurt people hurt people. And we have a community that could benefit from some healing, period. Um, How that's delivered, whether it's digitally, or in person, it just we need to equip our educators with the mindset to, to be agile in any of those environments, because the reality is we're going to have to be able to be comfortable in that space.
0: Dr. McCloud, are, are there any final thoughts that we might not have touched on, or any aspects of your platform that you just like to share with our listeners?
2: Yes, thank you. I'll just say this in closing, that I am in a very tough, contested race. And I would really hope to have the vote and the support of your listeners. July, Kimberly McLeod, you will see my name on the ballot if you live in District 6. I will also say, whether elected or not, Kimberly McLeod will be an advocate for Texas communities and public school children, period. And I've been an advocate for over 20 years for Latino as well as African-American communities, as well as for any community that believes in empowering our, our our students as well as those that teach and lead them. Um, while you do have two great people to choose from, I want you to know why I feel I'm the better choice, and that's because of my experience of being a teacher, a counselor, an administrator, a professor, a university dean, but most importantly, a mom to three African-American males, and two of them have been in special education. I know what the needs are. I will fight for your children as I fight for mine. And I hope to have your vote in July. Tony, thank you for the opportunity to speak to your audience. I appreciate and I value the impact that your voice has on all of us. So thank you.
0: Thank you so much. We really appreciate your commitment to education and your commitment to public service.
1: Like me, you wanna fight me, you don't want no problems at your party, don't invite me I don't worry about you, please stop talking about me Always talking about me cause you looking for the clouty Six nina, 109 nina, riding in a two-seater with two ninas Baby, got that Aquafina, it's cocaina. Smoking on that OG reefer, no TMZ 4G on a bench, rock, make a friends Told her she could get Chanel, and she let my friends saw shining in the room Vroom, vroom, G5 Vroom, vroom, we high You the type of d- that I never wanna be like You the type of d- that will never get a reply High hater, buy hater Vroom Yeah, I don't write Yeah, 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 Keep on that cat, Keep
3: up on that Yeah, 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 in the back, yeah, yeah, Dollar, dollar bill, come get Even your man know nicky's do it better Me. Always on my page, never double tap. Like me, baddies to my left and my right. Never chase a corny. Put that on my life. Just spit it in his face. while it's cake. He wanted the taste. We sippin' on that ace. Itty bitty waist, pretty face. Yeah, eat it cookie monster. He a slave to this bitch. You call me monster. Real wet. I said slurping like it's pasta. They get nervous when it's nooky on the roster. Somebody ushered this into a clinic. My fellow still sick, I ain't talking the pandemic. I write my own lyrics. A lot of these bitch b- b- gimmicks. They study Nikki style. Now all of them wanna mimic. Talking about snitches when it snitches and you can't. Never stand alone, you always itchin' for a stamp. Me, I'm still money. this is light up like a lamp. They gon' have to send their best fighter for the champ. Racks, I got them, Mary I'm poppin'. They keep hating, but still watching. Check the boards, I'm still top down the plain chain, I got options It's a bunch of mini knees. I'm the one they mocking Showed you how to get the bag, now you going shopping When I come out, all we'll the sneak, bitch, you start plotting When I come out, it's a sweep, bitch, start
1: mocking like, I don't keep on on yeah, Bitch, I mm, clock, mm, cock, mm, got it, mm.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Latino Politics and News. This is Tony Diaz. Today we are taking a deeper look into the race for Texas State Board of Education, District 6. We are speaking today with the Republican candidate, Will Hickman, who joins us on the phone right now. First of all, thank you for calling in, Will. Appreciate it.
4: Sí, muchas gracias. Buenas tardes. Ah, Que bueno. ¿Hablas español? Sí. Tengo mucho trabajo en uh, Sudamerica.
0: That's fantastic. And I do want folks to know that You've been working as an attorney at Shell for over 15 years, first in the area of intellectual property and now supporting LNG transactions in Latin America and the Caribbean, as you mentioned. You've been involved for many years as a precinct chair in Bel Air and West Houston, served six years on the Bel Air City Council, was elected to represent CD7 on the 2016 Electoral College and now serves as the general counsel for the Harris County Republican Party. Will and Dr. Jennifer Hickman have been married 21 years and have three kids in high, middle, and elementary schools in Spring Branch ISD. He's been active at their schools as a frequent volunteer for the Dad's Club, Watchdog, and PTA legislative liaison for the elementary and middle schools. He's also active in the community coaching basketball at SBMSA and Kingdom, working for the international community at the HLSR and serving as a deacon and Sunday school teacher at Tallywood Baptist Church. Thank you and welcome to the program. Tell us how you're handling the COVID-19 shutdown.
4: Yeah, Tony, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, it, it's been a challenge. We, um, My wife and I have three kids here at the house, like you mentioned. Um, starting right after spring break, we've been kind of partnering with our SBISD teachers and partially homeschool and partially virtual school, um, different challenges with that than uh, sending them off for a normal day of school. But we we got through uh, the rest of the school year. And, and this summer, uh, we've been taking a couple weekend trips. My wife is a doctor. She's back in the office uh, seeing patients. And I'm here at home as the uh, summer babysitter. So she's Happy about that, and um, we're definitely keeping busy here in the neighborhood and with our friends and neighbors.
0: Well, and it sounds like you're getting a firsthand view of what the remote education might look like in Texas, and you are vying to be able to have a role in that down the line. The interview we're going to have is very much different than what we would have had not just pre-COVID-19, but also before the slaying of George Floyd, because right now there's a lot of discussion about dismantling racial discrimination. We wanna start having a discussion regarding ethnic studies. So first of all, I'm excited that Texas is the first state that has endorsed Mexican American studies and African American studies. Have you been keeping track of the evolution of both of those programs?
4: Yeah, uh, Tony, congratulations. Um, I understand your really uh, one of the leaders of the uh, Mexican-American Studies program. Uh, I'm friends with Donna Bohorich, who's uh, supporting me, and Kevin Ellis supporting me. So I've been attending some of the meetings. I was actually at the meeting where the African-American studies, uh, all the public comment. I don't know if you were there for that, but there were 70 or 80 commenters, from university professors to high school teachers to students very powerful, and I think it's a great um, program that the State Board of Education has adopted where a district of innovation will kind of develop the course in a laboratory setting, try it out, tweak it, uh, make changes, and then the State Board of Education can adopt it for kind of statewide implementation. So I understand uh, Mexican-American studies is kind of moved all the way through that process at the last meeting. Unfortunately, it was virtual during COVID. uh, State Board of Education adopted African-American studies. And there's some some other initiatives uh, coming down the road. At this stage,
0: conversations being accelerated. Of course, across the board, people are talking about more sensitivity training, cultural awareness training, training that eliminates cultural bias for police departments, and of course, that would constitute perhaps weeks and months. Perhaps if we had students taking cultural studies courses early on, perhaps it would avoid these cultural classes that we have now. We're just beginning the discussions. What are your thoughts on making ethnic studies a requirement to graduate high school from Texas?
4: So if you're talking about training police departments, that was something I was involved in. On Bel Air City Council, so that's certainly something you could talk to your councilman about. In terms of uh, high school graduation requirements, that's something I'm really starting to dig into and understanding which of those comes from the legislature. So some some things in HB5, the recent endorsements, the foundation courses, uh, your state rep or state senator would be involved in, and some of it is at the State Board of Education level. So I'm really starting to understand uh, and and look at proposals for what makes sense. What I really want to do, though, is have a tailored, take advantage of the endorsements in HB 5 that you can tailor your education to if you want to head into the military and enlist, if you want to start your career, if you want to start a small business, if you want to go to a two-year school or a four-year school, you can tailor your high school experience to get you there. So if cultural studies is something that interests you, we should have a lot more offerings available. If you want to be a welder, we should have a lot more training that you can hit the ground running. If you want to be in the military or if you want to be an engineer, we should have more math and science. So if you follow – I. I'm all for kind of more electives and really trimming down the the number of classes that everyone takes to a minimum and allowing each student to tailor their education to fit their needs.
0: So it sounds like you're saying you'd be looking at ways to make the curriculum more nimble so that it would be able to serve students and their families more directly and they would have more of a role in what they pick instead of saying, you must take this course.
4: Yeah, exactly. But as we're heading into a 21st century workforce, each of us has a different pathway. Uh, different ISDs are calling that different things. Spring Branch ISD calls it T24. That each of us has a, and I think Jersey Village calls it a flight path or the Eagles. So where where are we heading post high school? And how can the high school best prepare you to get there Uh, I don't think that's the same curriculum for every student. One of the first school
0: districts in California that required ethnic studies for students to graduate from high school, and what they did is they replaced the requirement for geography with the requirement for ethnic studies. So that wouldn't increase the number of courses someone has to take. Someone wants to go into welding. They would take their endorsement, but that would be still part of their curriculum so that they do get exposure to some of these other cultures. What about that approach?
4: Yeah, Tony, I'm open to uh, to looking at anything. Uh, Literally, I'm talking to uh, people across the spectrum about education uh, like yourself and uh, attorneys, teachers, superintendents, the Teachers Association, anyone and everyone interested, from parents to educators, right? And I'm open to all ideas and looking at everything. I have not heard this proposal, so you're kind of catching me off guard here, but happy to look at it. But in general, if I'm more looking at streamlining uh, the number of required courses, but if there's something else that can be... um, set as an elective to make a room then let's talk about that
0: this is not even a proposal yet this is more of something that is evolving because of all the attention right now on getting more cultural awareness out let me give you one more specific proposal before we go on to some of the other issues that affect this post we've interviewed the two democratic candidates who are vying for the special election and one thing michelle palmer suggested as a way to get more culturally relevant figures into curriculum, she suggested eliminating Texas history in seventh grade and then making it an American history component so that Texas students get American history three years, but that extra year would include coverage of more figures who are African American, who are Mexican American, Asian, and other cultural groups as well, and more women. This would also appeal to the whole notion of the streamlining that's going on, where there's been an attempt to require fewer figures so that teachers had more time to get to all the required folks that they have to get to. And again, this is not a proposal yet. What's your preliminary thoughts on that?
4: Yeah. So I know the the state board of education just went through a streamlining of social studies. That the challenge for a teacher is so much material in such a more short amount of time. Uh, in general. That, that sounds great, then you expand U.S. history to give it another year. The problem I have with that proposal is I'm a proud American and I'm a proud Texan and I think Texas has a great history. Uh, we fly our flag equal with the U.S. flag. It's uh, a lot of pride in Texas. And I think we should teach the history of Texas of how we got here, uh, of American exceptionalism and Texas exceptionalism. And why these are such a great place and how kind of the founding fathers of Texas and of the U.S. got us to this place and how this this system evolved. Uh, I think that's important for every student to learn our history of where we came from and where we are and then kind of help us guide us into the future. You're saying
0: let's keep that Texas history component. Perhaps this is more of a follow-up discussion. What are some ways then to make the curriculums more culturally
4: diverse? Well, I'd like to present all the facts, whether we're talking about science or social studies. Let's look at an issue. Let me give you an example on uh, climate change and fossil fuels and the energy transition. Let's present the students with, rather than saying, wind and solar is perfect, and that's the future, let's show, here's a lump of coal, here's a cup of oil, here's a solar panel, and here's a wind turbine. This is how much each of them costs. This is how they produce energy. These are the pluses and minuses. This is the... Pollution produced. This is the cost of one. What do you do when the sun's not shining with a solar panel? What do you do when the wind's not blowing with a wind turbine? And then let students make up their own mind of here's how to solve the energy transition. Here's how to solve climate change. That let's let's embrace critical thinking where we present the students with the facts and let them make up their minds. So I'm all for presenting all different viewpoints, all different ways of thinking about a problem or an issue, and letting students decide for themselves, not really presenting this is the answer to our social problems.
0: You're not suggesting that. That's what ethnic studies does, though.
4: I didn't didn't hear you say African-American studies. I heard you say diversity. And diversity is differing viewpoints, right? We have gender diversity, we have racial diversity, but we also have diversity of religions, diversity of ways of thinking, where we came from, how we developed as a an individual, and in all of our experiences of, My I've traveled the world, I've lived in different places, and each place people think differently and do things differently, and really at work we embrace that, that diversity is bringing all different viewpoints together, like us say we can start a conversation.
0: So you're drawing the distinction between a broader topic of diversity and what I was trying to shine the light on is specifically the cultural studies and ethnic studies. Have you given thought to how to include more cultural figures from different backgrounds into the education system, be it African Americans, Mexican Americans, Asian Americans?
4: Yeah, I think we have to capture everyone in history. But history's though, is is not something coming up in the state board in the near future. It's really uh, uh, social studies was just kind of revised recently. Uh, next up is math and science. They're working on healthcare care right now. But I know social studies is exciting and history is exciting to talk about in a political campaign. But the vast majority of the work Of the state board of education is not partisan is not political uh it's really what's best for the kids Uh, i'm happy to incorporate all the relevant historical figures regardless of background Uh, when we're looking at the history curriculum i just haven't been studying that because that's not a immediately on the docket for the state board
0: right now we're waiting to see what school (laughs) looks like in september whether it's remote in person or a hybrid, what are some tactics that you would imagine that the Texas State Board of Education would implement to approach this new area of education? Because we're gonna put what the curriculum looks like aside, we have to figure out what a daily classroom <laughs> agenda looks like. What are some of your preliminary thoughts on that?
4: Yeah, it, I. what I would say is every student Uh, needs a Chromebook. Uh, Every student needs Wi-Fi, needs a way to connect, whether that's by one of the school buses driving around, whether that's a local library, whether it's some sort of subsidized program at their house. Everyone needs those basic tools enabled to study virtually. Uh, There's been a, a growing gap in learning because students aren't in the classroom and they just don't have the resources. So that's kind of problem number one that needs to be solved and then it's learning how to uh i've heard some proposals of you go every other day of how to develop this hybrid approach where we can have shifting from online to in-person learning i i think the first first issue we need to tackle is each student needs a, a chromebook and internet access whether it's the school bus with the Wi-Fi, or a local library, or some sort of subsidized program at their house, so that all students have the basic tools they need in order to study remotely. A lot of the uh, textbooks or learning materials are now uh, virtual. Well, so I know some some of my kids will check out a textbook. Most of that material is online. So when they have those basics of a laptop and internet they're able to get into the materials and learn there's through Corona we've seen a huge gap in the students that don't have those basic uh, needs met in order to uh, keep keep up with their learning.
0: We know that over fifty percent of the student body population of Texas are Latino. Any thoughts particularly on how to help the Latinos who are falling behind or left behind get back on track?
4: So a lot of things we can unpack with that question. Um, One is I'm all for school choice. So that is looking at me as a family and my kids, which schools make the most sense for my kids, whether that's a homeschool, whether that's private school whether that's a charter school or a magnet school or the neighborhood district school. So each family having those options to look at what are the best options in my community uh, for my students. And then we have time uh, right now over the summer where we can have summer school, we can have uh, communities. Uh, I know there's Uh, reading programs where there's volunteers in the school and there's summer reading programs at the library have started up and really kind of using the summer to to fill the gap of knowledge. Uh, The other thing is each family kind of needing to, we missed out on the STAR test this year, which for me is a critical piece of information for knowing how each student is doing. Uh, And I don't know how we're going to remedy that with no star this year. I don't know if it'll be back in the fall uh, to get a snapshot of how my student is performing.
0: Now, I grew up in a household where I was translating for my folks and I actually went to a Catholic school when I was growing up. I would ask you then, how do we reach the families where it's the child who is the one interpreting and managing information that is sometimes very complicated for adults, let alone for kids, who then have to try and translate it into Spanish? What about appealing to those families or helping those families out?
4: So I hope that all all the schools, or at least all of the school districts, have some Spanish speaking staff that can help with interpreting for those families. Um, I'm sure that young Winnie didn't always translate exactly the same message to his parents there. We don't really want the students acting as a filter of what messages are coming home. Right? So we should have messages that the parents can understand. I have some friends at church who are refugees from the Congo spent a number of years in the camps in Burundi and just arrived and only speaks Swahili. So it's um, kind of trying to help them through the school process, but but getting the message home, I, I see the challenge.
0: What would be some of the key platforms that you want to approach as you campaign for this important post?
4: Yeah, so I'm, I'm spending a lot of time. I'm not an educator. I've got an engineering background. I went to law school working as an as a lawyer and I I bring those viewpoints but I'm spending a lot of time with anyone and everyone uh, interested in education uh, in the community different superintendents or administrators and teachers and the teachers association and so on one thing I mentioned earlier was I'm in favor of uh, parent choice, I'm pro-choice for each family deciding what is the best uh, school for my kids. I don't think charters are evil. I think the, you know, KIPP and Yes Prep came out of HISD, and that's a great laboratory where it's all public education. We should look at what schools are working, whether it's an ISD or a charter, and share that across the state. I'm interested in uh, a wide range of input into the curriculum and textbooks. I've already met with a number of parents and educators interested in getting involved in that if I'm successful of the, the real core work of the State Board of Education, of developing the, the curriculum and textbooks. But like I mentioned, education for me is not a partisan issue. It's really all of our families regardless of our politics, want what's best for our kids and all the communities to have a good school. And we have an opportunity available for all the kids of Texas to get a good education.
0: Would you be open to a live event once Texas reopens?
4: (laughs) Si, por supuesto, en ingles o castellano. Ah, que bueno.
0: Take the whole issue of charter schools versus public schools. It seems that parents perceive that there's Competition for limited resources. What can you do to diffuse that and help people work together towards getting all of our youth educated instead of parents believing one is taken from the other? Yeah,
4: there are plenty of students to fill all of the schools we have in Texas, and they, actually, the number of students keeps increasing, so there's no shortage of students in Texas, and all of the the charters, the magnets, the ISDs, they're all public education, and they're all being funded by the same taxpayers, and they all have the same goal of educating students and preparing them for a 21st century workforce to be productive citizens, right? So there is no, for me, there's no competition between schools. I i know there are some partnerships with uh, Spring Branch ISD and YesPrep, and I would love to see more partnership and interaction and schools working with each other of in in business we do a lot of benchmarking what's working and what's not working i spent some time with uh, bob sanborn at children at risk and he was talking about looking at where were the minority low-income schools that were really performing well and he found some in the houston area and he developed some criteria all of them have in common Let's share that sort of information, whether that's a charter or that's an ISD, no matter what kind of school that is, let's share what's going well, what what makes schools succeed, what makes students perform well, so that all of Texas can benefit from that sort of learning.
0: Well, thank you for calling in. We've been chatting with Will Hickman, candidate for Texas State Board of Education.
4: All right. Thank you so much.
0: Hoy la noche tuya y mía, la luz está apagada pero tú estás prendida. La
1: nota me dice que siga, te voy a dar hasta que Dios diga. Uh, hey. Hoy la noche tuya y mía, la luz está apagada pero tú estás prendida. La nota me dice que siga, te voy a dar hasta que Dios diga. Hey, brr, real, real.